I'm Angela Kelly Robeck, host of the Empowered Principal Podcast, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Hey, welcome back. Steve here. And today I'm talking with Dr. Hope Blecker about her book, co-written with Barbara J. Smith, called Write to be Read, Informed Methods for Engaging Students as Writers. Oh, so much to learn. You're going to love this episode. So, so much to think about and maybe even change your approach to teaching writing. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Thanks for sharing. And oh, speaking of writing, it'd be so cool if you found one person to share the podcast with. What do you think? You know, that family member, that colleague, that uh, next door neighbor. Yeah, that'd be so cool. Thanks for doing that. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the show. It is a book that will help people look at reading um, as not the only core subject and not the only core skill. Writing needs to happen. We have spent years and years with a focus on reading. Are we literate? And usually when we're asked that question or when we pose that question, literacy is actually referring to reading. Can the person read? Well, reading is not the only skill. When you ask someone about, are they literate? It's reading, writing, listening, speaking, and viewing. Those five components. And writing has taken a back seat over the years to reading. It's the education podcast, your favorite show. With lots of groovy guests and they share what they know. So crank it up to 10 and let your neighbors know. That here's another show with Dr. Steve Milletto. Teaching, learning, leading, K-12. Teaching, learning, leading, K-12. Teaching, learning, leading, K-12, ah, ah, with Dr. Steve Maletto. Dr. Hope Blecker has been a working professional in the field of education for 39 years. She holds an earned EDD, an MA, and a BA, in addition to three NJDOE-issued standard teaching certifications and two administrative certifications. Recently, she was asked to be the first senior advisor for ReadM, an educational app other firsts include serving as the English language learner specialist at SUNY Sullivan County Community College and being a literacy coach for a school district in central New Jersey. She serves as an English as a Second Language ESL service provider for an adult education program in New Jersey. Previously, Hope served as the first middle school curriculum co coordinator for an independent school and as the director of curriculum instruction and the supervisor of English language arts literacy, social studies, and library media services. Along with friends, neighbors, and colleagues, Hope co-authors educational books and articles. Our focus today will be the book, Write to be Read, Informed Methods for Engaging Students as Writers, written by Dr. Hope Blecker and Barbara J. Smith. Hope, thanks so much for being on the show, and say hi to everyone. Hi, everyone, and thank you for having me here. Well, glad that you're here, and we got to start with this. Um, you've been in education for 39 years, so... That's just a little bit of time. <laughs> I mean, what's something that you've experienced or learned over the years that guides you in education? Something that you kind of keep in mind that, that you learn? So I keep in mind that I want the educational experiences to be interactive. It's very important for me that it's not a stage on the stage, a lecture, that there is an interactive component, an engaging component that is done intentionally. We always have those teachable moments, but I do plan the um, engagement part very seriously so that people feel that I'm connected to them and to the content. Very nice. Very nice. That's a, that's a good thing there. It's a, uh, um, that's one of those things that uh, forever, um, you know, I, one of the very high tech devices that exists today that I love is, uh, is not very high tech, which is a mini whiteboard. Yes. <laughs> and it, it, Helps. I always try to use that as a way to remind me that get them doing something <laughs> while you're, and I like that. And it, and it's interesting because I'm now coaching a teacher who this teaching is his second career. Oh. And I watched him and the students had respect for him and he had a PowerPoint and, and feedback. I said, just move yourself from the front of the room. Just walk around. So all of the students get your eye contact. All of the students feel your proximity. Very and he was nice. like, oh. And not like in a silly way, just he's just like that wasn't the style when he was in a classroom. So, um, you know, and he's a very hands on career that he has and that he's trying to teach these um, high school seniors and juniors. But for him, it was, you know, a recollection of, well, what was the style that I was taught in? So that's the style I'm going to have. 
And then when he started moving around, he's like, this is so much nicer. This is so much better. It's like, you got them. Now you got them. That's so cool. That's uh, you know, cause that, 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 and that's a big part of it is trying to figure out how to, you know, they're, they now, you know, you're, you're one with them. Yeah. <laughs> they're working yes. on the same plane. Yes. And, so and, there, and it also increases the respect. Oh yeah. Most definitely. Uh, it, all right. So let's, uh, let's talk about this. I mean, I read about some of your educational journey. Can it, can you tell us more specifically about what you're up to now? So I am continuing to be an educator. I am an educational coach. I am writing. I am doing um, tutoring and consulting. And what I also did just a few months ago uh, was start a nonprofit. So that is my new project that I have birthed is um, hopescompass.org. And it is an interweaving of my experiences as an educator and the need for um, education and um, Holocaust-based education and how that can evolve through a daffodil garden and through the arts. So that is the new project that I am involved with as a founder and as grassroots as it can get. That is awesome. And, uh, you know, we were connected uh, by a mutual friend, Jeff Eichler, and uh, he's um, done a lot of this last summer. He went to uh, um, places um, in uh, Europe and such for that were sites from World War II, and he has a real big focus on uh, you know uh, on the Holocaust and trying to make make sure people don't forget. And uh, and there's so many ways to learn about it as our ourselves as individuals, and also to take that experience and say, how do we process that? I um, for the first time found out a few months ago that a distant relative had perished in the Holocaust for my entire life. I never, ever, ever knew that. And so when I went on our first blended family vacation this summer, we happened to be going to Prague and the concentration camp was near there and intentionally went there. And the experience took me about a month to process. And finally, the way I was able to share it was I wrote a poem. I just needed to grapple with what I saw, what I felt, what I, what I just experienced. And, and then Jeff and I connected through sharing, um, you know, he's been to different places and what do you do with that experience? And, um, and that was also part of the impetus for this project. That's awesome. I, I had the uh, good fortune to interview George Stevens Jr. Um, not too long ago, who most people um, know him as the, uh, um, he found AFI, Hollywood, the American Film Institute, and uh, mm -hmm. the Kennedy Honors um, Program. He's done a lot of stuff. He's a movie, oh, okay. movie director, producer, and uh, as well as TV. Um, he did a lot of uh, um, uh, TV directing and so forth and won a lot of awards for these different programs. Well, his father, George Stevens Sr., um, he'd recently written a book about him, and uh, his father was the... Um, he was in charge. He was a big time movie director. All right. So he's, um, and oh, okay. he, he did a lot of changing of, of how we view things. And one of his big movies was like, I don't know if you ever heard of Shane, um, mm -hmm. the, the Western yeah. and, uh, um, giant with, uh, um, with a star studded cast. Uh, James Dean was in that movie and a whole bunch of, whole bunch of movies. Anyway, one of the things he did was that, so they recruited him during world war two to take a crew to go into, um, Europe during the war and, uh, and film. And so he's, he's the reason why we have the video, the, the movie tapes that we do of, as they were liberating those camps. Oh, and, that's uh, okay. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. You're welcome. It's pretty fascinating. So any of those films that you've watched, those are, um, his George Stevens crew, um, and him, you know, George Stevens and his crew doing, right. doing those pictures. And they're the reason why we have the evidence to, to say, this is not, <laughs> this is not made up. Right. And I appreciate that acknowledgement. No problem. Well, thanks for sharing that. That's a very, very good. And, and one of the things we'll talk about when we talk about uh, links and so forth in a little bit in the show notes, uh, we'll make sure that we, we remind everybody about where they can find the, that information as well. So for you. Thank you. Good stuff. So uh, um, let's move on. So you've written a book with Barbara J. Smith, Write to be Read, Informed Methods for Engaging Students as Writers. So why this focus? I mean, who's your target audience? So the target audience are people who are becoming teachers, people who are teachers, homeschoolers, um, 
And administrators, those in college classes, professors, adjuncts, um, and I mentioned those different roles because I've been those different roles, but also because that those are the people who can benefit from the book. It is a book that will help people look at reading um, as not the only core subject and not the only core skill. Writing needs to happen. We have spent years and years with a focus on reading. Are we literate? And usually when we're asked that question or when we pose that question, literacy is actually referring to reading. Can the person read? Well, reading is not the only skill. When you ask someone about, are they literate? It's reading, writing, listening, speaking, and viewing. Those five components. And writing has taken a backseat over the years to reading, partially because of where um, funding was going and people who were famous or infamous in the world of um, college life and corporate life and where foundations were putting their money. So reading became um, the go-to and writing what became almost like the stepchild. And yet people, employers complain and college people complain, the children can't write, we need tutorials. Why is that happening? Because attention wasn't paid to it. And the way children write is to answer questions that a teacher gives them or to satisfy a requirement for a test, but not really for depth, breadth, or enjoyment. And that's why we came to this book. Excellent. I love it. Because I, I love that. I love the title. I mean, right to be read. And that's because uh, that's it's saying it all right there, which is, uh, you know, a lot of times the type of writing teaching that's going on is it's to meet a requirement as opposed to to be read. Exactly. And so I like that a lot. I, at, all right. So a little f- format structure conversation for a second. I mean, at the beginning of each chapter, you have a segment called professional conversation starters. Uh, why? What, what are you looking to happen here? Why'd you put this part in the book? So it's interesting that you mentioned that because initially when we um, had the first draft of the book or second draft, those were at the end. And I said to Barbara, you know, sometimes when I read a book and they're at the end, I just skip them. So because <laughs> I'm like, I've read that chapter. I got what I needed. Uh, like I glance, but I, or I skim. I don't really read them. So we consolidated them and put them at the front to give the person who's reading that chapter um a point of view, some food, you know, food for thought, um, and a lens through which we would like them to read the chapter without it being prescriptive. So there are not questions that they're answering for us. There are starters for if you're doing this with your friends, if you're doing this with colleagues, if you're like me, and every time you read a book, you want to take notes in it, There, that would be the spot to do it. So it's a preview of what's to come in that chapter. Um rather than at the end where we acknowledge that some people don't read that part. First of all, I have to admit that, yes, I would be like, I would be on that, uh, <laughs> that train as well. And so I like the way you did it because it gives you thoughts going into this chapter and, and, uh, and, and it just, uh, it's a kind of sets a neat, uh, forward tone, I guess, you know, where, where we're yes. going and thoughts in your mind. I love it. I, you know, throughout the book, you provide practical resources to assist the the, the student in her growth in writing. Could you share a little bit about this? So we wanted this to be something that the teachers or the parents or tutors can use with the students, as well as the students when they gain confidence um, could say, oh, okay, I understand why you're doing that or where are you going with that? And, and being comfortable asking the teacher um, those questions or their parent, whoever's guiding them. So the resources, and thank you for using the word practical. We intended this to not be a highfalutin book where you have to go out and buy materials and it's the cost of the book plus everything that you need. It's this, we wanted the content to be rich, but the materials to be things that hopefully you have uh, access to. And we want the student to grow as a writer. Writing is not stagnant. I know when I get feedback, sometimes I'm like, all right, writing it all down, soaking it all in, and then saying, I'm overwhelmed, but some of this makes sense. And then where can I then grow from this? Do I want to change my piece? Do I not want to? Why do you want me to change my piece? Or what do those edits mean? So we wanted to have that so that it's a guide. It's where you start. It's not where you end. Barbara and I are very um, sincere in saying this is a foundation. This is not where you end as a writer. This is where you blossom as a writer. I love that. It's awesome. I, I have these uh, terrible memories of a, of a class in my, uh, my second year of, in college where uh, uh, we, 
it was a some sort of English class, and we were uh, in a into a poetry section. Now I've ne- not really been fond of poetry much of my life, but uh, um, so in there she was instructing us on how to interpret uh, poems. And uh, the thing that I'll never forget was uh, written on my paper was no, this is incorrect, and I it was written in big red letters, and uh, and I and I met with her after class, and I said, well, you, I thought you were t- telling us how to interpret. <laughs> You know, right. this, this is our interpretation. And she said, well, you didn't do it right. And I, it's always kind of stuck with me. I'm like, but your interpret- how is your interpretation wrong? Right, right. It's like, I, I'm glad to hear you say that because I was like, that kind of ruined me for life or poetry. I don't know. I just, oh, but. I get it. I, I it's, it's interesting because I do a lot of poetry as a teacher, but I had not written a lot until recently. And then I, my self-talk, like my little Jiminy Cricket was yeah. thinking, well, Hope, you have students do it. <laughs> it's time for you to, and, and I was very good at it with my students. They would write things, get awards. It just wasn't a genre that I did. I'm very narrative, um, details. And I was like, let me take a stab at it. And when I started, I was like, I can do this. <laughs> so nice. I, you know, um, yeah, and sometimes they rhyme and sometimes they don't and sometimes they're odes. But again, it's it's where you can be flexible. If if in your case, like somebody read it and they squelched your desire for that genre, and that's what we need to be aware of to not do that. So much so, <laughs> I just I I you know and who knows maybe I would have or not. But at the same time, it was one of those things that I I'll never forget it. <laughs> I. I, was- I, I- I, I agree. I had a teacher in English 101. She, she, again, the red pen, um, which some teachers will not use anymore because yes. their schools are anti-red pens. Um, but um, and you can't grade with a black pen because then you can't see the difference. Right, so right. you know the, the colors is a whole different right. conversation. <laughs> but um, who said to me that I was not a good writer? And what was I? And I'm like, but this is English 101. This is English comp. And basically he was saying, like, how did you get through your, you know, elementary and middle school and high school years in your English classes? The irony to that is I was a very good student in my English classes and had an independent study in high school because they were like, we don't know what to do with you. (laughs) So I think for that teacher in college, I just didn't fit her square. It was like, these are the assignments I give. This is what I expect you to give back. And here comes hoping class, and I'm like, what? What are we doing? <laughs> so I, I would give the assignment because I was a very good like, I was the teacher pleaser. Right. I have to also say I was like, there was always something I was like, but can I? I I'm gonna try it this way. I'm gonna swim a little bit like Dory somewhere else. And I think she just didn't know what to do with it. So, and my goal was like, I am going to finally get an A for. I am going. <laughs> and it was now looking about it, I laugh, but. She was just not, I didn't fit her box and she was not going to be flexible about it at all. And that, that's what we can't do anymore. You got that right. That's one of those things that, uh, you know, it's, it's funny because, uh, it, for a long time as a kid, I taught myself that some classes were not worth my time and effort. Therefore I'm not a bad kid. So I'm going to do what's necessary, turn in my work, not talk, not cause any problems, and just go with the flow because there are other classes that I'm taking that, you know, challenge my thinking, make me want to do more and stuff like that. And I think that uh, what you're just describing is one of those things that can really shoot down our thoughts about uh, stepping outside our box, which is to say, yes. oh, fine. Okay, I'll take a little step here. I had a class in, in, a, in a whole different level. This was in my master's work that uh, um, where the professor, he wanted you to do as he told you. Um, he and what he told you was about stepping outside the box and all this sort of stuff, but he his grading wasn't like that. <laughs> it, it's it was like, right. and you learned it fast. And it, it was one of the professors that they all wrote about in these in those days before the web and all that stuff. Right. They they had these little books you could buy about professors that listed the yes. good and bad. <laughs> and and uh, after I took his first test, someone said you need to buy that little book, and I went and bought it, and I went. Oh my gosh, this is exactly what we're all complaining yeah. about. <laughs> anyway. And, and you know, and sometimes, and you have a great attitude about it. You know, I'm, I'm going to, I know what I'm going to do in my role as a student. And I want to succeed in my role as a student, but I know how I'm going to, you know, be that role. Um, 
rather than I'm, I'm in that role and I'm going to be just give up. So, you know, kudos to you for realizing that and, and being able to, I don't want to say that play the game, but being able to navigate those relationships. Thanks. And it's, and I use the term play the game because it's, I appreciate it because it's like one of those things that I, I, oh, well, all right. Thought it was going to be different here, but let's, let's put this one in the other side of the, 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 the notebook, which is the one to just do what needs to be done and get it on, get it over with. So, (laughs) um, all right. So you have lots of great stuff in your, in your book. This is a, it's an excellent book and it goes that direction. Thank and, you. and uh, you're welcome. And I appreciate it. And I, I got to, and I, and I've picked out a couple things that really got my attention. So, um, so one of the things that uh, I want to talk about now is you get into, in chapter 18, you get into feedback and assessment of writing and you say this re- relying on testing as a narrow form of assessment may seem like a s- simple solution, but when the goal is learning, convenience is not an option. Oh, I love that. Um, what do you want the reader to remember from this section? I want the reader to know that if they are only having students write in order to check it off, assessment done, assessment done, that learner is not really learning. They're doing it as a task. They're not enjoying it. They're not going to become a lifelong lifelong lover of probably reading or writing and you're like okay it's done it's done but there is not an enjoyment there is not that's not becoming internal to them and it's not in becoming integral to who they are as a person and whether we are texting whether we are emailing whether as you and I did um you know we're we're sharing notes we're um you know I wrote a whole book co-authored it with Barbara along with other books whatever style of life you have there is some writing involved If you're a mathematician, it's numbers. If you're an artist, you're writing through painting or poetry or prose. If you're a photographer, you're you're expressing through images. And in those jobs, it's not a matter of convenience. And if we're only teaching writing to get it done and be a task, then shame on us. And I feel bad for the students who are in those classes. Most definitely. (laughs) I appreciate you talking about that. It's it's like... uh... You know, and I, you know, at one time, the whole focus, and I can't even say the whole focus. I don't think you can really generalize that much because there's been some great thinkers that have come out of the classes that uh, are in schools where they had some of these types of classes, but uh, mm-hmm. but they also came out of those, you know, to, to write amazing works or to um, become amazing thinkers and pr- and problem solvers and all kinds of things. So it's it's just that it's 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 found its way to exist in different. Uh, Oh, throughout the years. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know. And- to respect the genres of writing. Like I, I, as a reader, I really enjoy historical fiction. I like mysteries. Um, I happen to enjoy them if I also, if they're written with a historical, and it doesn't have to be like way, way, way centuries back. Like Janet Ivanovich is a fun read for me because her books take place in New Jersey. Nice. And some of the places I've been to. So that, that's the, that's the um, grab for me. Um, there are other books that I've read. Um, but that's a, and I know that as a reader that I like that kind of writer. So there is a place for all different things. I don't like dystopian literature. I know people who love it, love it, love it. It's not my thing. I won't talk negatively about it. I just, I just don't get it. It's just not, it's not in my heart and soul. If I was in a class, like I know I had to read 1984. I know I had to read Lord of the Flies. I read them. I passed the test, watched the movies, et cetera. Will I have them again and again and read it again? No. I'll read The Little Prince. Love that book. I probably read it once a year. It just speaks to me. I have my teary moment. Um, so I, I think it's acknowledging that as writers, that there are different genres and that there are people who, as we're growing up, we think it's right or wrong because someone is giving us a grade. Someone is giving us feedback and we're not getting what they want. Um, but I think we have to just be careful with the message that that's not a lifetime sentence of you're no good at it or just do it for the test and get it over with. And then the fun comes later. You know, that's uh, you just remind me that's, that's one of the things having been a former high school history teacher, one of the first things that kids ask you is, uh, you know, is this going to be on the test? Yes. <laughs> it's like, don't, can we not see it as more, more than just a test? Yeah. Yeah. Right. This is going to be part of your life. Yeah. It is, it, it, that's it's always been a fun question. It's like, uh, you know, 
why do we need to know this? And is this going to be on the test? And yes. um, do we have to memorize dates? That was the other thing. <laughs> There's always stuff like that. Uh, all right. So this is something else um, you say, and I, lo- I love this. Writing becomes merely a mock exercise when the eventual destiny of the notebook is a garbage can. <laughs> Recycled or not, a notebook can symbolize busy work and for many who struggle to write, an annoying source of frustration. I love what you're talking about in this section. Can you share some insight about this statement? So kids feel, fill notebooks and notebooks, composition books, whatever we call them. Um, Even if it's an online, Google Docs, Google Docs, pages and pages, words and words. But they rarely go back to do anything with it. The assignment is done. So they're in the internet, they're in the world, they're in the cloud, they're in notebooks, pages, um, you know, clipboards, et cetera. But that's a frustration if you got nothing out of it. So at the end of the day, at the end of the year, as a parent, it's like, okay, let's rip out the pages you used and use it again for the next year. I mean, I I have found moving. I found all these notebooks. And my kids are like, why do you still have them? I was like, but it's your writing. It's your work. It's your, and they're like, mom. (laughs) And then I said, okay, so you choose, you choose which ones we're keeping and which ones we're throwing out. And it was interesting to have them like, as their 20 something year old selves start reading what they had done as like an elementary middle school student. Oh my God, I forgot. <laughs> it was so cute. So some we see and others were like, okay, trash. But the pages that are left are like the next open space for you to plant your blossoms, to plant your seeds, to go. Um, and some people just throw all that out. You're done, gone. You're done, gone. You're done, gone. So we really want writing to not be the frustration. It's the process that makes it frustrating for some people. Some people really enjoy the process and not the finished product. They're like, oh, it's done. Is there more I can do? Um, so I, we really meant that. And in my mind's eye, when um, Barbara and I were going over this section that you nicely pulled out, I like had that vision in my mind of the parent who's like, oh my God, look how garb and, and is the teacher. Cause some of those students never take that stuff home. So you're at the end of the year with like, who, what do I do with this? And the poor custodians, they're like, it's recyclable. Here's your garbage can. And, and you feel bad throwing a kid's workout. Cause it, it was them on that day. Right. Right. That's, I, I just, this part just struck me because it's like, you know, first of all, my own, education i've had those you know just like i was saying before and the notebooks that i wanted to keep like for the longest time until my wife said you know some of this stuff has got to go um for the longest time i had uh um, i'd kept these biology we had to i took this course called zoology in high school Mm -hmm. and the zoology course was the dissection course and he he spent a lot of time on you had to do these drawings and you had to you use the drawings to then memorize everything from the nervous system to the muscular system and the skeletal system. And I spent a lot of hours on those and I'm like, <laughs> I'm not throwing these away. These are going with me. And, yeah, they, yeah. and I think until about, uh, you know, <laughs> um, they were about going on about 25 years old where um, they, they didn't, su- they didn't survive after that, but they didn't survive. No, but it's, I mean, It's interesting that you say that because like I have, you can see the bookshelves behind me. Um, The listeners won't, but you, you can see them. And my kids are like, are we keep, do you need to keep all these books? And I said, I can tell you like why I have these books. And until I can't, yes, yes. I'll get rid of other books. There are other books or magazines or something. Um, Now I've started keeping some magazines because we're going to be doing some found word art as part of the um, Holocaust project. And, um, so now there's like a repurposing for magazines again in my life, but I said they're either, either it's a memory or it's books that they were given when they were children. Cause nice. both of my, um, children are in places where they have no storage units and things. So I said, again, like that's a, me- I'm holding on to a memory, but a time in my life as well as it's still speaking to me, you know, and some of them, I have a jo- a book that from my undergraduate. Um, a John Dewey book that I reference again and again when I'm nice. writing something. Nice. Cause it's just, it's in my mind. It's there. Love that. I love that. That's, you know, I think that so often this, I mean, just it goes back to what I was saying before when the kids are asking me, do we have to know this? You know, just get it done, put it on, you know, give me the test and I get it done. And then I, then I do, I, when I was in the army, I had a Sergeant who um, did some of these classes. And the first time we, we met him, um, he was a hoot. And he said, all right. He goes, now, right now, 
you all need to do something that you're going to do if I don't give you permission to do it right now. And he goes, I want you to turn your head sideways. And he demonstrated. And he said, now I want you to hit your head on the side of the head and do a brain dump and just dump out all the other information that. There you go. <laughs> you know, sometimes, I, I, sometimes those brain dumps are necessary. You just have to get it all out. You just have somewhere yes. to put it. I remember my calculus class when I was a freshman. So obviously the, you know, you have word problems, you have things, but the language of math and going into that final, the blue book sitting there. And I always tried to sit in an exam where I sat for class. So I was like in that zone feeling, you know, and big lecture hall, et cetera. And excuse me, I remember the exam and there were, it was a big, you know, blackboard and um, no whiteboard, smartboards yet. (laughs) And there were like five questions on each of the, you know, and I'm thinking, we're here for three hours for five questions. Like I'm telling you, I was down to like two hours and 50 minutes. It was so long because each one was a section. And and then if I think about it now, it was like a big, huge outline that we had to fill in. He gave us the the equation and then you got to find the solution. But that solution was keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going. And I think that was my realization of, you know, you you can't be tricked by five or 10 equations thinking, great, three hours, I'm out of here. No, (laughs) not to do it with detail. And that's what they wanted in calculus. It was the devil was in the details because one sign, one notation, you might get an answer, but it might not have been the correct answer. Right. right. So it has its own language. It's so cool. And it just talks to the the fact that we do a lot of writing in different areas. And uh, so often we don't really think about it the same way, but you know, that's, not a good way of thinking about it. <laughs> yeah, so good, um, good stuff. All right. So, you Thank know, you. Um, and, and by the way, I think I'm, this is going to be one of those things I remember because, you know, the eventual destiny of that notebook is a garbage can. And I just, <laughs> I, 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 cause I, I'm a former principal, assistant principal. And at the end of the year, the amount of stuff that the custodians were yes. taking and uh, that part where you're talking about with the recycle part and all that, it's just, uh, sorry, it just brought back a lot of images of uh, custodians <laughs> going, wow, check it out. Yeah, look at all this great paper here. So they rip out the stuff and yes. throw the paper in the recycle bin and they had notebooks. And it, uh, there were some teachers who did the same thing. They go around looking for all that stuff because they put it in their room. Yeah. So when kids said they didn't have any paper, guess what? I got paper. <laughs> and I would do that too. Nice. You know, and, and especially if you're in some areas where it's a, a cost factor, it's like, no, no, every, everybody has a notebook. Everybody has, if you, if you can't bring it, I have one for you and you can keep it. I never need it back again. Nice. Like that. Like that a lot. Hey, uh, in chapter 21, challenges to changing writing instruction, you note this, rather than teachers relying on a test what is known approach, students can show teachers and others through writing what and how they have come to know. Let's talk about this. So rather than, you know, test what is known approach, how about I can show you how I've come to know this. I like that. Right. And show what you know. Show the process. So Barbara was very um, instrumental in that part of the um, in that part of the book in that it's not the end product. That's the goal. It's what are you doing through the process, the process so that we can see where you are evolving. It's not to catch you on a mistake. It's where are you going with this? And each iteration is part of showing us what you know, showing us what you learned and asking, what do you want to express here? What is it you want to say? What do you want your reader to know? Because as a writer, when you are asked that, what do you want the reader to know? Um, and I'm, I'm somewhat struggling with this now with the nonprofit because I have this big project. I have it mapped out by months, each thing. And someone said, so at the end of the day, what do you want the money for? And I'm like, well, I need it for this project. And they're like, no, no, no. Hope. Like, what do you want it for? I was like, cause I want to make this project happen. I want to breathe life into it. And they're like, okay. I was like, no, no, no. But don't you want the details? Like, don't you want to know? <laughs> and, and so as a writer, that, what do you know? What do you want to share? Get that out. Have the experience. Because if you're just going from first word to, I have to answer the question, the, that stuff in between is getting lost. And then some of your personality is lost as well. And that's what, that is the stuff that makes your answer different from my answer. I love that because that's, you know, that's what makes us, you know, we're all different. We all have our own um, things that make us tick, uh, 
Um, right. We also have baggage. We also have not baggage. We have things that, you know, we love and, and it all comes <laughs> and out. It's interesting because when I was a literacy coach, I would give frameworks out to teachers and, and they're like, and someone said to me, well, then every student is going to have the same answer. I said, oh, no, 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 no. If that's the way you're looking at this, then I need to change that a little. This is a starting point. You're not giving them the answers. You're giving them a sentence starter. You're giving them that support. Because for many students, it's where do you want me to begin? A blank page is terrorizing for them. And for some adults, it's like, okay, this is like, what do I do? I don't even know where to begin. So I'm just asking you to give them a spot, an entry point. And if, if you don't want to use it, you don't have to. But provide it as, uh, as you know, the opening words as an entry, as a door, like an open door. Um, and if you're only testing what is known, like you said, your students, is this going to be on the test? Well, I, I created the test. I know what's on it. But I don't want, I don't want 25 um, tests with the same answers. I want you to give your opinion. I want you to be able to give your analysis and your interpretation. Because otherwise, I might as well just answer it 25 times and submit it and you'll pass. You know, it's so, it's, it's so important because I, as a history teacher, what I would do is I spent time explaining how to answer short answer questions in, and so that I could grow them eventually to writing a, um, argumentative essay where they took details from the class and then, uh, over time. And then they, you know, they chose the subject, they got to choose it and Mm -hmm. they uh, took details to prepare. So they had time to prepare before the last day. All it was, was sitting in class writing and um and it's just funny because uh you know when you when you do that when you get a chance to kind of argue your side then there's no unless you just totally don't know how to use the information that's the only wrong answer that there is and so it's the quality of the answer that uh, varied and i that was that was a lot of fun doing that i I stole that from a colleague of mine who (laughs) who liked to do that and taught me how to do it so but that's a beautiful thing because you had a colleague you could speak to. So that's another thing that Barbara and I were aware of when we were doing the right to right to be read is that some teachers don't feel they have colleagues to interact with. And it can be lonely. You can be in a you can interact with your students way more than you interact with your colleagues. Um, and we, so we wanted this to be a support mechanism. We wanted this to be their friend. And that's why we have student um, actual examples, not oh, Barbara, let's act like we're in the third grade or let's act like we're five years old, which would have had, you know, probably we could have done it because we've had experience with that age group. But we really, these are from actual students, actual people we know, youngsters. And so therefore that authentic part and that authentic voice and their responses were um, very integral to what we wanted and the qual- and making a quality book. Love that. Uh, love it. Uh, by the way, speaking which at, at the end of your book, you share this. Until the lion learns how to write, every story will glorify the hunter. And it's listed as an African proverb. So why'd you close this way? Because I, I, I've... Did that catch you off guard? Yes, yes, it did. And it, it made me, when I read it the first time, I just kind of read it. And then I went, whoa, 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 back up, back this truck up. All right, and I read it again, and, I, and again, and a couple times. And so, and just like right now, it's having a similar impact when I'm reading it, asking you about it. So why did you include that? So um, that quote actually came out of a series of quotes that Barbara and I went back and forth with, because for each chapter, we were trying to find something that sat with each of us. And it really is the lions are part of a pride. But if you only tell the story of what happens to the lions from the hunter who wants to, you know, take their life, you never know what the lion is feeling. So you need that other perspective. You need that other lens. If we go through our lives only having stories, only looking at the writing, only reading from one lens, then we're never going to have a bigger picture. And that bigger picture is where we feed from. That bigger picture is where we can analyze from, take a quote from, blossom from, um, look at it and say, I get what that author was trying to do, or I don't. And maybe I'll read it again. Maybe I won't. But it's those components, the, you know, if you look at it as some people do as like a feeding chain, you know, where are you on the food chain? Well, the lion's here and the hunter is here. Well, you know, if I'm telling the story from the lion's view, they may look at it differently. So we need to give those lions the tools and the opportunities. It's both. I like that. That's, you know, and it just a note, it makes me think about um, if the, uh, 
if the saber-toothed tiger back in the day, before the people had to realize that the spear might be nice, <laughs> um, they, they might be the yeah. ones telling the story because they were winning more. <laughs> And it's interesting. I live in an area now in my life where um, some people hunt. So it's different for me the past few years. I didn't grow up in an area where there was hunting. Now I am uh, living in an area where there is. And I, I have heard some people say, um, who are hunters, you know, I just looked at that deer and thought, I can't, I can't hunt that one. And, and I'm like, why? They're like, there was just something that that deer was like that that deer was no longer an animal that was going to be either uh, you know on a wall or or consumed. It, and I'm thinking, you know, much like this quote, like that deer was probably has a story. That deer was talking to you in one way or another. There was some interaction. Um, but I try not to go too deep because then they're like, no hope. It's an animal. Leave it alone. I just didn't <laughs> kill it. I'm like, okay, okay, great. That's funny. <laughs> um, but there's a story there from the deer's perspective of being saved that day. Oh yeah, especially uh, yeah, the way uh, wildlife, you know, the world of the that world works. When you have the yes. predators who are looking for the weaker ones that mm -hmm. uh, will fall behind and so forth. Yeah, there's uh, there's quite a few stories right there. Yes, um, but uh, um, good st good stuff. I, I appreciate you talking about that though. It's just that that statement just multiple times. Um, I I've you know it's a it's a good one. I'd not heard that, and it's uh, um, it uh, sits with you. I mean some. Good deep thought, I guess. And when when Barbara first shared it, I immediately thought of the Lion King. Nice, you know, because I was like, wait a second, you know. Um, and then she's like, and look how many layers there are to the Lion King. And I, I have to say, I was an adult teaching the Chronicles of Narnia and teaching that series before I realized how many layers there were to that story and the proverbs and the religious and the um, historical overtones because when i was a kid it was a story there right, weren't all right. those layers and when someone said that to me i'm like wait what that's what i'm supposed to get out of that i was like wait no i had to reread this because i totally missed that that level <laughs> and they're like what about the symbolism in it and i was like okay wait no no it's a reread and now my eyes are seeing it differently and then sometimes you can't unsee it so depending on what what where you want to dive into it you know, as an adult, going back and rereading a children's story, you you get a different perspective. Oh, most definitely, and it's uh, um, that's how I got introduced to um, you ever heard of the writer Orson Scott Card? Um, yes, he wrote a book called Ender's Game, and um, and he wrote a whole bunch of the others, but the and the, some of those are on that bookshelf because those are oh. my that's my husband's. Ah, <laughs> but cool. Those are those are the kind of books that he likes to read. Cool. So I had I like. Um, a lot of different genres of uh, stories and books and so forth, and and uh, and uh, and part of that is sci-fi and things like this. And but I'd never read um, *Ender's Game*, and uh, um, as well as I've read some of his other books, but uh, but the first one where I first got introduced to him was *Ender's Game*, and it was a by a, a friend of mine who 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 was talking about this, that, and the other, and um, how he was an English teacher, and he was talking about this, that, and the other, and he said. Uh, he mentioned Ender's Game. He started talking about this, and this is way before Hollywood made a movie and stuff like that. And right. and he said, uh, and I said to him, I said, well, "What's that about?" And I said, he goes, "You've not read Ender's Game." And I said, "No." And so it was it was neat because I not only did I read the book and I couldn't put it down. It was it's really an awesome book, and uh, but having the as an adult reading that book, I can see how it, you also have a different experience as a kid. So it would be neat. It was neat for me because my friend was an English teacher, and so he talked with me about it at the end. My wife hates it right. when I try and talk to her about the books I've been reading. She's like, <laughs> I read and then forget. She goes, I move on to the next one. She goes, do you want to talk right. about it too much? And I'm like, so this was a cool thing because I, I, you know, I'm, I had attended a uh, military academy um, as a, okay. uh, to become an officer in the Army, and um, there's so many different aspects in, in that book that um, you see differently having gone through where you're no longer with home, you're someplace else right. and you're doing stuff. So I, I, to I totally get what you're saying when you, you read and there's things that symbolic in those in that book, as well as many others that I've read that uh, it's just funny how, you know, I read The Great Gatsby, all this stuff blew right by me. And then I went and read yep. something that said what I was supposed to be. <laughs> and, and I, we're, we're using that experience. We are intentionally using that experience in one of the activities that we're doing um, with uh, our youth, youth to adults in March. We are taking the journey that saved Curious George. So it's the story of Margaret and H.A. Ray. Have you read the book? 
No, I have not. No, I'm not. This is okay, cool. So I won't, I won't give away too much, but it's the journey of um, the authors, illustrators of the Curious George books throughout their time trying to avoid being captured during the Holocaust. Oh, wow. So when you read that and then go back to read the Curious George, you know, Curious George flies a kite, Curious George goes to the zoo, the man in the yellow hat, you now will have a different perspective on who those characters are, why they are, what their names are. I don't want to give it away too much because I would like to encourage you, you know, with your history. Oh, um, I will. I will. Sure. And, and, um, uh, just seem to like that, but it's, it's so that we are using that as our opening for nice. this um, project and the journey that saved Curious George. And we're actually having it by having the Curious George books with some of the plushies, letting the people get comfortable with that, then doing the journey that saved Curious George and then giving them time to go back and be like, Oh wait, like now I need, now I understand with the purpose of it's going to jiggle. Some people say like, no, leave Curious George alone. But for others, it's like, now I get it so much more. Now I know why they were so committed to it. Um, and the outcome of which is to give back to the community. We'll have materials for them to make little plushies that they may either choose to keep for themselves or donate to NICU units or um, veterans or the elderly. So we're, nice. we're like breathing life into keeping it going. Nice. That's, that, that's awesome. And I'll have to find the book because uh, I need to read that. Um, yes. I don't, and then we can talk about it another time. <laughs> that'll work. That'll work. They, uh, um, so, you know, one of the things that, uh, as we're getting close to finishing up, um, you're talking about hope for education. And I was just wondering if you could kind of, kind of sum that up and give us where they can find that, um, as well. And then what we're going to talk about, uh, where they can find the book and so forth. So hope for education is H O P E. Then the number four, and then the word education. And that is the website where I put what I do as an educator, as a consultant. I have some blog posts. I have information about ReadM, which is the app I'm the advisor of. And that really was birthed by a parent who was a parent of four um, children. They moved here from Israel and they were told, read for your child, um, read with your child for 15 minutes every day. And that will help them learn English. And the parents are like, they're, they're English isn't good enough. Why, well, like this is an assignment I can't do. And Oren is a software engineer. So he was the uh, software coding part. So there's that information on there, information about the books that I've written, about how to celebrate the 100th day of school beyond a white t-shirt and dressing like you're 100 years old and all different activities because I want people to enjoy learning. I don't want it to be boring. I don't want it to be expensive. It doesn't have to be a whole lot of gadgets but I want there to be an endearing part of what people are learning. So that's on the hopeforeducation.com. Very nice. And so if someone wanted to reach out and find out more from you, what is that where they're going to go or do you have other places? Um, they can go there. My email is hope at hopeforeducation.com. And if after hearing this, they want to learn more about the Holocaust education project that I started as a nonprofit, that is hope at hopescompass.org. So I, I needed to differentiate them for establishing the nonprofit um, component part of it. And they can learn about that, see some artwork that I'm doing that's evolving out of that and the poetry and prose. So Hope Lecker is the name. That, that part didn't change. It's all connected to who I am. And like I said, the two different parts are Hope for Education with the number four and hopescompass.org. Nice. I'll put that information in the show notes so it's easy to find and easy to uh, yes. connect with you. So good stuff. I, um, I, have... I will reach back. If people email me, the only thing I ask, Stephen, is that um, listeners, please put something in the subject line. Uh, if it's empty, I probably will not open it. Gotcha. Makes sense. So make sure you put subject. There you go. Yes. I like that. <laughs> the uh, uh, last question I have for you, and it goes like this. Uh, do you have a teacher in your past who made a difference in your life? If so, who was it? And what would you say if given the chance to say, Thank you. So it was interesting that you asked this uh, question and the final question. When I thought about it, I thought I, I didn't have a specific teacher. I have an administrator who made a difference for me. So it took me a long time um, to break from the classroom um, into the administrative role. I was often told, hope you're too much of like a teacher that they're not going to see you as an administrator. I wanted to be the administrator that teachers could relate to. So 
you know, different opportunities, however. But I had two people, Dr. Marilyn Birnbaum and Dr. Robert Rich. So Dr. Birnbaum was the superintendent and Dr. Rich was the assistant superintendent. And when I came on board, you know, I was hired, I was new, et cetera. And I often checked in with them until one day when separately, but within like 24 hours of each other, they each said, Hope, we hired you. We know what the Hope package is. We need this here. You don't have to worry. You're okay. And I was like, remember feeling so relieved because I had been so much trying to be in a box and out of a box in other places that here they were like, it's a Hope project. We get it. We're all going to pitch in, but it's going to be successful. Just map it out, give her some chart paper, and then we'll come back and breathe. And they were the first administrators that really um, recognized that in me and let me fly with it. And we had a lot of fun. And some of the people I'm in touch with, they're like, oh, Hope, I'm not surprised you started a nonprofit. I am not surprised you're doing this. <laughs> um, if it's a teacher specifically, I did have teachers in elementary school, mostly my art teachers, who I think that was the place looking now where you didn't have to do a specific project. There was more freedom. And that was my like breathing space in the days when you only had art once a week. I love that. Thank you so much for, and it's cool that you have them on different levels, different types of, of uh, teachers and uh, those who help you, um, help you get, do what you want to do. So I like that. That's cool. Yes. Very cool. I, you know, Hope, thank you so much for sharing your book, Right to be Read, Informed Methods for Engaging Students as Writers. Awesome focus. Love the direction. An excellent resource as well as resources available in there. Um, wishing the best in all you do. My pleasure to be here. And people who want to contact me, I will get back to you. I encourage um, in the interaction. And thank you so much for this platform to share. Hey, you have been listening to Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12, a podcast to help you help kids achieve their dreams. Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12 is a member of the Education Podcast Network. Podcasts for educators, podcasts by educators. Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12 is a member of the podcast network based in Canada called Voice Ed Radio. Voice Ed Radio, your voice is right here. The opinions expressed on Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12 are those of the guests and hosts. Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12 is intended to share ideas, advice, and suggestions. Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12 is produced for educational purposes. Hey, thanks for listening. It would be awesome if you visited my website at stephenmaletto.com and connected with me, left a review, and listened to more episodes. And by the way, you could also share it with your friends, with your family, and uh, your colleagues. Thanks so much. You're awesome.